Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. Today's episode of Locked On NFL is brought to you by Built Bar. Remember, with promo code Locked On, you get $10 off your first box of Built Bars. And this week, Memorial Week special, five extra dollars off a box of Built Bars. What are you waiting for? Go to BuiltBar.com and build your own box. Matt, we have more news every day, man. And usually it's good news when it involves when the league might reopen and facilities might reopen. We're hearing coaches could be coming back to facilities. Players could be allowed back into facilities. Yahoo's Charles Robinson, who's been pretty plugged into this whole thing, said that uh, players could potentially be called in to participate in full squad mini camps mid to late June. California is, is one of the key states that, that he talks about here, but it sounds like the Jets and Giants will be allowed to do their thing, which was a, another big hurdle, I think, for the league. Uh, another league spokesman, Brian McCarthy, said that the league was, quote, not putting dates on a potential return, though. And then ESPN reports that um, that NFL coaches do not expect their staffs to report back before training camp. But even then... Yeah, so some... It's still good Go news, ahead. If, Go even if it's just a training camp. As long as it's open by then, it's important. Mini camps is like whatever. Yeah, I mean, it, there's some mixed reviews, but overall, it seems overwhelmingly optimistic. And I hate talking about, you know, the pandemic, and I don't know anything about viruses, and I've been staying home, and I wear my mask, and, you know, I'm just like everybody else. But it does seem like some people were worried a second wave in the fall could happen. And then, you know, what if... Russell Wilson gets it and then he gives it to Bobby Wagner and then, you know, the Seahawks <laughs> right. are done. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, ah, you know, but overall, I mean, people that know a bazillion times more than me and more importantly to me, owners, you know, I want to hear from owners. Owners run the league. If people don't realize that, I mean, the value of an NFL franchise times 32, those are the guys with the muscle. Those are the know-how guys and the Jets owners coming out, signing saying optimistic things that gets my hopes up tremendously. And to your point, if I knew we were going to have a normal or facsimile of a normal training camp, and that was the first time we were going to see players doing football stuff, I'd be ecstatic. But if we could do some form of mini camp too, wow, how much fun would that be? You know, see the rookies in their new uniforms and whatnot. And obviously, you're not out of the woods. There could be, like you mentioned, a, a quick spike once you get more, more and more people together. Mm-hmm. And then with the league, if one team has a bunch of guys that somehow get it, that team would obviously have to shut down. If one team can't practice, uh, as Mike Tomlin, I think, talked about, if it has to be equal footing for all these teams to get ready for the season. So if a team is completely shut down, does that shut down the league again? So obviously not completely out of the woods when you start talking about getting more people in close proximity and back together. And I'm sure there will be endless protocols, when, which might actually make it take longer just because everyone needs to feel safe when they do get back together. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen super soon, but we're also hearing things like NHL is going to have some sort of playoffs. NBA is going to try to do something. Major league baseball looks like there's going to have be some semblance of a season. So these leagues can learn off once another, one another. And, um, you know, my, my birthday is on June 6th. That's coming up. And I always think about usually on my birthday, I'm sitting at the Steeler practice at minicamp and that doesn't sound, I mean, it's not going to happen next week. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, it's, it's not that far away to think we could have somewhat of a normal off season. Like we've had the last few years. Right. And with the pace, regular that, season. with the pace that things are going, it's still may right now by July. It's, it's very likely that everything's going to be clear at least for, 
players to be practicing at facilities with protocols in place. And we'll see if media is even yep. allowed to see any of those things. And I would guess that would be an opportunity for teams to say, ah, oh, you know, sorry, we can't have as much access this year. Boo-hoo. Yeah. <laughs> teams yeah. won't be upset right, about right, that. Exactly. I mean, um, maybe I won't be broadcasting from next to, next to yeah. the, what you call it, as a media member. But who knows? What do you think about that? 24-team hockey playoff. That's like most of the league. Basically, the last place teams can't participate. 24-team playoff that's is that's going to be almost kind of fun to see how some of these leagues if baseball does a shortened season what what a playoff will look like in some of these sports it'll it'll be fun actually i think just to see something a little bit different and to see the sports actually back well that's the biggest thing is i mean just to see a game i'll be doing cartwheels for that that's great and i don't care if there's anybody in the stands or not but i mean if i think everyone realized this is not the normal year this is not the normal stanley cup run this is not the normal NBA finals run. So let's do things a little differently like we did with the NFL draft and, and experiment a little bit. And maybe we'll get another good idea, a positive idea for the future. I'm sure that happened through the draft process. And um, I'm not exactly sure how the hockey you know, playoffs play on working, but I think it's going to be like everybody in one location on the East, everybody in one location in the North and the, in the West and, you know, give it a shot and see how it goes. Like, it's like a, your kids go into a hockey tournament. One more quick note on whenever training camps do open, one player that will be in camp is Rams star cornerback Jalen Ramsey. There was speculation that he might not show up to camp and try to leverage things for a new contract. He says, nope, I said I'm showing up after the trade. I'm showing up to camp. So that's one down, uh, one player that is eager to get to training camp, Jalen Ramsey. And a huge one. I mean, if you're to give up that kind of draft capital for him, I, I know he's got a lot of attitude, but I don't mind that from my corners. And I, I know people are down on the Rams, and I think that's a little unjust. I mean, he could be a huge difference maker for them this year and going forward, allow them to blitz a lot more. And maybe this is me piling on the Jags, but doesn't it kind of just seem like, yeah, I'm a happy kid now. I'm just not in Jacksonville. Right. That seems to be the way things are going for people in Jacksonville. It's like, look, I don't care. Just get me out of Jacksonville, and then we're good. And Yannick Ngakwe probably is a person who was not going to be showing up for the Jaguars. A couple of other players I'm interested to see around the league if they do show up to camps. George Kittle is a big one. Going into the last year of his contract, he's making peanuts for what he could potentially get as he resets the tight end market. With whatever a contract he gets, it's going to be the highest paid tight end in the league by quite a margin. And then Jamal Adams, that saga continues. He wants a new deal, even though he's signed under contract through 2021. Uh, The Cowboys rumored interest and then rumored no interest there in trade. It doesn't sound like he will get traded. I don't think this is the offseason where we're going to see a lot of trades and, and player movement because there's so much uncertainty at least right now, and we'll see if there's you know more certainty later if teams say, yeah, you know what, okay, let's let's go for it. And and on that note, actually, with Jamal Adams, and I, I don't know why I never put this together, if you were the Jets, would you trade Jamal Adams for CeeDee Lamb? Because the, the rumored asking price was a first, or before a while back, I think last year, was like, okay, you need two first-rounders. And then recently it's been rumored that teams are calling him, they're, they're taking phone calls, and they said, yeah, a first and a third is what it would take to get Jamal Adams right now. But just a first alone, if that first you knew was C.D. Lamb, like going into the draft this year, would you trade Jamal Adams as he is where his contract is right now for rookie C.D. Lamb? I think I would. Yeah, I would too. I don't know that I would if I were Dallas. You know, I mean, it's funny because that, that 
if you ask me, would I give up pick 16 for Adams a month ago? I would have said, yes, he's a great player. He's young. He's what we need. But now I got Lamb and I got this offense complete. Yeah. And I think I would keep the young receiver. And I would do it if I was the Jets. And I think a big key here that we haven't touched on isn't, is Adams a great player? I just think they want to allocate their resources a little different on defense. You know, that they want, you know, they play a lot of cover two, which doesn't stress the, the, the safeties a lot. You know, they, they can get away with average safeties, especially if they have front four pass rushers. Like, of course, they're not the old school Warren Sapp bucks, but they're closer to that than some defenses are nowadays. And you just don't pay a safety that you don't demand a ton from to, you know, huge, huge money if you can turn him into an edge pass rusher and something else. I agree with you there about before the draft and after the draft, how different that looks. I wouldn't have traded. If I was the Jets, I would have wanted more than 17. And then now that I look at it after the draft, I would, yeah, I would take Lamb for for Jamal Adams. That's an interesting way to look at that and how quickly things can change. But uh, we've got a lot of time to speculate and see who shows up for training camp. But I want to get to our conversation with Alex Clancy. Talk Arizona Cardinals with the host of Locked On Cardinals next. We've got a new offer from our friends at Built Bar this week. Through May 31st, Memorial Week special $5 off every box of Built Bars. That's on top of promo code Locked On that gets you $10 off your first box of Built Bars. And oh yeah, now 20 flavors. They added four new flavors, peanut butter, banana, pineapple upside down cake, coconut pecan pie, and blueberry lemon to their already amazing 16 flavors. Eight of those chocolate with nuts, eight of those chocolate nut-free flavors. And all bars are covered in 100% delicious chocolate. The bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. It's a snack you can feel good about because it's delicious, and it is good for you. My favorite flavor is the peanut butter 20 grams of protein in that one, only 3 grams of sugar in the mint brownie flavor, only 110 calories, 15 grams of protein, and 4 grams of sugar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get $10 off your first order, and this week only 5 more dollars off. Promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Our guest today is Alex Clancy. He is co-host of Locked On Cardinals along with Bo Brock. I always have fun talking with both Alex and Bo. You can find Alex on Twitter at Clancy's Corner. You can find their show on Twitter at Locked On AZ Cards. And of course, all of your favorite podcast apps. Tell a friend their team is covered right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Alex, how are you, my friend? Uh, thanks for joining us today here on Locked On NFL. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me on. We got to talk right off the top about Kyler Murray because obviously as Kyler Murray goes, so does the 2020 season for the Cardinals. So does the franchise of the Arizona Cardinals, the number one overall pick in 2020. Obviously, it took guts for Steve Keim and the Cardinals to go back-to-back quarterbacks and move away from Josh Rosen so quickly and spend a number one overall pick on Murray after spending the uh, top 10 selection on Rosen the year before. But it's obviously been the right choice. Just from your vantage point, how was Murray's rookie season and how good can this kid be? Because it's just a pain in the ass, I know, for two games against the San Francisco 49ers who went to the Super Bowl last year. But just being a pain in the ass isn't going to be enough going forward. And there might be a lot more 
there as far as ceiling goes for Kyler Murray? Yeah, I mean, initially, regarding Josh Rosen, I am in this camp, and I've solidified myself in this camp, that I don't think Steve Kime, Steve Kime ever wanted to draft Josh Rosen. When they were sitting at 15, there were mock drafts that had all four quarterbacks, Baker, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, and Josh Rosen, all going in the top six. So the fact that Josh Rosen dropped to 10 kind of forced Steve Kime's hand to move up from 15 to snag him. Now, the move on quickly to Kyler Murray – when it really comes down to it, we don't know if it's worked yet or not. So far, it looks like it's worked. And what I saw last year was a burst of energy like the Clippers when they traded for Chris Paul, drafted Blake Griffin, and had DeAndre Jordan, where it's a completely different regime, completely different Arizona Cardinals squad. And what Steve Kime did seemed to have worked, but the truth is that they only won five games. And while showing sparks of, you know, uh, an unrelenting ceiling, we don't know exactly what we're going to get from Kyler Murray until after this season with all the tools and the proverbial sophomore slump potentially staring him in the face. Alex, it's great to have you on. Great to chat with you. I think the Cardinals are super interesting. And I'm really interested in Cliff Kingsbury. And there's two things that I think are somewhat of a feather in his cap is I thought last year he utilized big picture thinking in the development of Kyler Murray, like a lot of horizontal throws realized the line was a problem. The offense was a work in general, a work in progress. He's a rookie quarterback. Let's build his confidence. Let's get the ball out of his hands and he still could improvise, and he's obviously a great downfield thrower, but the offense wasn't ready for that, to, in my opinion. And he also showed not only was is Kingsbury a big-picture thinking guy, but I thought he was very adaptive during the season and realized this line isn't very good. I don't have developed receivers quite where I need them yet to be 10 personnel with four wide receivers on the field. Let's incorporate a tight end a little bit. And... I didn't see that coming, and I think that just shows that maybe that's not what he's going to stick with, but I think he's smart enough to realize he doesn't know everything. I would say that he was more of a surprise than Kyler Murray. I mean, there was he was interviewed, so I was there in the press box week one where they got completely embarrassed by Detroit in the first half at home, and there were rumblings that he thought that he could have got fired at halftime. Like, he's like, <laughs> what am I doing here? Why am I, why am I an NFL head coach? I, I was piss poor at best in college. I was a calculus student that failed calculus. They got moved up to AP after, you know, failing calculus. And what he was able to do through some mask of the defense being so bad early on that a lot of people were focusing on Vance Joseph's inability to take their lackluster talent level with Patrick Peterson on the shelf, Robert Alford not playing, and Byron Murphy, your second-round pick, being your arguably your best secondary player. Through the guise of that, Cliff Kingsbury just started to figure it out. As you said, there was no real game plan going in. It was just kind of trial and error. Let's see what happens. We saw in the preseason, Kyler Murray did not throw the ball vertically at all. There was one pass that I remember where he missed Larry Fitzgerald 40, mi 40 yards down the field in a, on a seam route. It was like, oh, man, if that's what it's going to be like, we're going to be excited to see what happens. And then they kind of went away from it. And then when the regular season started, 
everything was vertical the first couple games. Larry Fitzgerald, 35-yard catches. Down the seam, Christian Kirk against Baltimore on the road. And then he started to kind of come into his own, realizing he could utilize David Johnson out of the backfield when, as you mentioned, they didn't have a great receiving core last year. And then as it started to go down the season, you realize, well, can you and Drake coming in, we can actually run the ball in. And you saw Chase Edmonds get them a win with three big touchdown runs on the road in East Rutherford against the Giants early in the season when Kyler didn't play very well. And you saw Cliff Kingsbury starting to figure out that even though the offensive line wasn't great and the receiving core wasn't awesome and Kyler Murray was still a rookie, that he held the defense honest enough to where you could utilize the run attack, even though Kenyon Drake had only been with the team, you know, for 10 seconds before he went nuts on Thursday Night Football. So Cliff Kingsbury is a lot smarter than people give him credit for, and I don't care what his street smarts are. As long as he's football smart, that's good with me. Everybody loves the Cardinals draft in 2020. I want to talk about the first round pick and some of the second year guys as well. But I want to fast forward to round three in 2020 and getting Josh Jones, who I think was a steal of a player there at the top of the third uh, to go with the offensive line that's already set there in Arizona. DJ Humphreys got re-upped to play left tackle this year. What's the plan on getting Josh Jones in? Uh, how high did they have Josh Jones rated? And do you think the offensive line is in a position to keep Kyler Murray clean and keep that running game going because a lot of people had them going offensive line in round one until Isaiah Simmons fell in their lap. People have talked about how Isaiah Simmons was the surprise that he dropped to eight. There were mock drafts that had him going to Cleveland after the Cardinals. So the big, the big steal here, as you mentioned, was Josh Jones in the third round because there were rumblings that if the Cardinals were going to trade back from eight to 16 or so with Atlanta, that Josh Jones was the offensive lineman they were targeting at 16. So the fact that you could get him 60-some-odd picks later, 50-plus-some-odd picks later, was the absolute steal. And he'll be playing on the right side. They have Justin Murray. They used the tag on him to keep him in, even though he hasn't, he didn't show much last season. The right side of the line is the biggest issue for the Arizona Cardinals. But they're not going to rush him in to be the week one starter if it's not warranted. Kyler Murray's legs. I've said this since draft night 2019. Kyler Murray's legs will be the best offensive lineman the Arizona Cardinals have. His ability to be elusive in the pocket, his ability to jump outside and extend plays with the ability to look downfield and have his wherewithal about him, his whereabouts to make accurate throws downfield, that is going to be the biggest part of the offensive line. And DJ Humphreys, I don't know if it's a coincidental or if it's a direct direct effect, but his ability to play the first 16 games, the first full season of his career three or four years in with Kyler Murray being a rookie and not being a stand-up pocket passer for the first time that DJ Humphreys has dealt with, I think it's a big deal. I don't think it's a coincidence. So with, with Josh Jones and that draft pick in the third round, that may be the steal of Steve Kimes' career if this works out. If he ends up playing 10 or 12 years with the Arizona Cardinals, making a Pro Bowl here or there, and not missing you know, chunks of seasons over and over again, Huge feather in the cap for Steve Kahn. I love the Jones pick, and I, I frankly think they lucked out to get him that late. I mean, I, I thought he was a late first type of guy. I just want to throw this out there, though, because I've been around Marcus Gilbert a lot with the Steelers, and I know that he is very hard to count on medically, but when he's right, he's a really good right tackle. So the tackle situation all of a sudden could be a strength. I, I also think the wide receivers are now a strength. I mean, if – 
Christian Kirk is your second or third best wide out, you're in good shape. And I had a lot of hope for Hakeem Butler. I was shocked a year ago that he fell to the fourth round. You added Isabella in there, Keyshawn Johnson. Of course, Larry's still floating around. And I don't think DeAndre Hopkins is going to get the massive number of targets he did in Houston, but obviously he's going to stir the drink. So let me take you back to that trade day. The show had just ended I'm a part of. I see that Adam Schefter said that David Johnson being traded to the Texans. So I got in the car after the show, and I saw that Adam Schefter said that David Johnson was going to Houston. They were going to take the full freight of his contract. I'm like, cool. Send him a second-round pick. It's going to be a tough pill to swallow, but that's what you get, Steve Kime, for giving a third, you know, 29-year-old running back too much money. And then I see what's coming back, that DeAndre Hopkins was coming back to Arizona. I screamed <laughs> expletives that I can't uh, share right now. Because, listen, I've, I haven't really been an Arizona Cardinals fan. I've done this podcast for – this is going on the fourth season. And it's been tough to do two podcasts back-to-back with positive stuff to say. But now it's like the, the roof has been blown off. The fact that they have DeAndre Hopkins – Larry Fitzgerald can now play a secondary role that he's that he should have been playing the last three seasons. Christian Kirk coming into a, a veteran year for him where he's going to start having to worry about getting paid. So him stepping up is something of the utmost precedence for him. And you mentioned Akeem Butler. And Akeem Butler, to me, as you said, getting him at 4-1 a couple years ago was, I thought, the steal of their draft that year. Out of yep. Iowa State, a huge guy on the outside – huge uh, red zone presence. The fact of the matter is, when it comes to this receiving core, they have one thing that you get from DeAndre Hopkins that they hadn't had over the last several seasons, and that's a red zone threat. You're right. He's not going to get 10 or 12 targets a game like people think. But the red zone targets, the dude is always covered in Houston, and he can always catch the ball on the sideline, fade route, slant, doesn't matter. The dude has the best hands in the game, he and Larry Fitzgerald are one and one A, and that is going to be the main the main cog in them scoring more points is DeAndre Hopkins in the red zone, not necessarily between the twenties. As fun as the offense should be in year two with Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, we got to talk about the defensive side of the ball. Their first round draft pick in Isaiah Simmons with Alex Clancy next. I want to flip to the other side of the ball because the defense is what fascinates me about this Cardinals team because just. You know, just from memory, just anecdotally, is thinking, oh, the Arizona Cardinals, look, they've, this offense could be fun, but they still suck on defense, right? And then I started looking at the depth chart, start looking at the names. Obviously, there is the first-round pick, Isaiah Simmons, who it's going to be really fun, and I want to get your opinions on how he's going to be used. But, I mean, Chandler Jones, one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. I like what's going on in the interior of the defensive line. Jordan Hicks at linebacker. You still have Patrick Peterson. I don't know how much is left in the tank there. Uh, and then uh, a whole slew, I think, what the Cardinals have like 12 draft picks in 2019. So you have a bunch of second year guys that should take a, a, a bump. Byron Murphy at cornerback, and I love Buda Baker. So this defense actually might be shaping up to be pretty darn good. What are your thoughts overall about the Cardinals defense and specifically how Isaiah Simmons will be used in Arizona? Well, it's interesting, Mr. Peacock, because Robert Sally, your defensive coordinator, was probably out of a job three years ago, and then he was getting head coaching looks uh, the middle of last season. So what a defensive coordinator need, needs is good players mm-hmm. <laughs> and good draft picks and draft picks to work out. And Vance Joseph, yes, he failed miserably as a head coach. He failed miserably last year. But Patrick Peterson out for six games for PEDs. Robert Alford never played. 
Buda Baker was starting to come into his own, but you need a guy like Patrick Peterson there to kind of bring these guys along. Byron Murphy went 2-1, and he didn't have, again, their best secondary player in Patrick Peterson for the first six weeks, and the rest was history. So the acquisitions they made, whether it be through the draft or free agency this season, they have taken, taken leaps and bounds from where they were last year. The, the draft pick of Isaiah Simmons will immediately help with the tight end coverage where they were laughable last year. And I think everybody that's played fantasy football over the last two seasons knows that. Bringing in Jordan Phillips and then drafting two defensive tackles, Lecky Fotu and the kid from LSU, both in the fourth round, helps there. Bringing in Devon Kennard from Detroit, who his sack numbers last year were kind of skewed because he had three in the first game against, against the Cardinals on the road. Detroit went from wanting to sign him to an extension to cutting him, and I think the Cardinals got a very team-friendly deal there. Buda Baker over the top is going to be the main guy this year. He's coming into a contract season soon. He showed last year that in Thursday Night Football, he laid out a guy that could put him in his pocket in, in George Kittle, where Buda Baker could be the next guy that they can rely on if Patrick Peterson doesn't resign next season. And with all of those things said and Jordan Hicks in the middle playing Mike at times in their 3-4 defense, this defense is ready to take the next level, to take the next step. And if they're showing flashes and Vance Joseph isn't getting them there, there will be a replacement of defensive coordinator come the end of the 2020 season. You know, I'm sitting here looking at the depth chart and you're talking about the additions and it's, it's the second year of the transformation of this team. And you mentioned this to say earlier, you know, I mean, it's night and day from the old staff. And I think the defense is finally telling us what they want to be. And here's my take on it. And tell me if you agree, because I think it all starts with what you mentioned with the defensive tackles. They signed Jordan Phillips to a pretty good contract and used two fourth-round picks on Lawrence and Fotu. And that's just screaming to me in my experience in this, doing this as a job that, that, you know, those three guys combined to be about 1,100 pounds. I mean, they're massive Ravens-like defensive tackles, you know, Patriot-like defensive tackles, demand space. They can't run that well, but they're huge and they're powerful. But having two of those monsters on the field allows the other nine to – run and hit, be versatile. And Isaiah Simmons, Buda Baker, I know Reddick hasn't really worked out, but all this speed and versatility be stemming after those monsters are in there eating up space really makes a lot of sense to me. And now I see the picture of what this defense wants to be. Yeah, and, and Matt, it's interesting because draft is important. Low-level free agent signings are important. And Jordan Hicks, People slept on him coming out of Philly. He was top five in tackles all year last year. Yes, on a bad defense, but he was he was in the center of it. The hard part may be done already. What right. they need to focus on now is winning. So if the Cardinals can win, I have them slated at seven wins this year, which would be an exponential growth from two years ago. Nobody, if they make the That's playoffs, the they don't, yeah. it doesn't. Yeah, right. It, do, it it doesn't matter. The hard part is over in a sense that. If you win games and you play in a sexy manner, guys are going to want to come and play here. It doesn't matter where you are in Arizona or otherwise. It's going to start to shift to the NBA model where it doesn't matter what jersey you wear. It doesn't matter if the Steelers have all this lore or the Patriots or whoever. They're going to go where the money is, and they're going to go where it's fun to play and the, and the talent is around them. Right. So when it comes to 
And people want to play with young, up-and-coming quarterbacks. Lamar, Mahomes, you know, right. Exactly. And especially on the defensive side, it's like, oh, that's our quarterback? Yeah, I'll come hit somebody for that quarterback. I'll come hit somebody if Isaiah Simmons Simmons works out even 80% what his potential is. He's going to be a pro bowler, and they're going to have guys that are so young, and it might make Patrick Peterson realize, hey – I could sign a two-year, forty-five mil guaranteed or forty-five million-dollar contract, twenty-seven guaranteed. Give up maybe fifteen or eighteen mil on the free market and stay and maybe win a Super Bowl where I started my career. So it's all got to roll downhill. They ha- they have to start kicking the snowball off the cliff. But at some point, if this starts to work, Steve Kime is going to be GM of the year two out of the next five years. The hard work may be done already. They just need to worry about salary cap and bringing guys in, and they need to win games. And Brian touched on it. I mean, you look at these two drafts. Sure, you look at Simmons and you look at Kyler, and they may be the faces of their side of the ball for years and years to come. But the Josh Joneses and the Lawrence and Fotus and the Butlers, they look like high-quality picks that, you know, frankly, you benefit from picking at the top of the round, too. But, I mean, that could be the key of the foundation. Yeah, I mean, it's – and this is, in essence, what Steve Kime has done, but he's just done poorly. And you, uh, you mentioned Marcus Gilbert earlier. Listen, they got him for a seventh-round pick two years ago. The fact that he was out, cool, he's still on the roster, and maybe he'll be the, the, the week one starter. We don't know. But, it's but you a can't power count on in number. Yeah, uh, you can't, right. It, it's a power-in-numbers game, as you mentioned, with the interior lineman that they drafted and signed in free agency. One's got to work. Nobody has to be a pro bowler. They just have to – not give up 140 yards rushing like they did two years ago, and it was still pretty porous last year. It's the middle of the field that's the issue, whether it be tight ends coming across the middle, tight end seam routes that they get in front of the safety, and running the ball up the middle. Those are the big issues the Cardinals have faced, and they've brought in a bunch of guys. And all it takes is one or two to work out on both levels of the defense, and the Cardinals will be in way better shape than they were last year. Two little things I think that need to change big picture – Cardinals were low in special team rankings last year and first year head coach. I'm totally cool with that. You know, the middle and bottom of their roster is not real strong. That's something I'm going to keep an eye out for is can he continue to grow in that third phase? And then another problem they really had too, that was kind of a hidden stat is really bad in time of possession too. And I think they can run the ball quite well, quite effectively, but I don't know that they're built to be, you know, a 32 a minute, you know, holding the ball type of team. Yeah, the, the, the latter I'll start with first. Two years ago, I remember I was sitting with Bo Brock, my co-host. The Washington Redskins were coming into town. It was Adrian Peterson's first game as the Washington Redskins, week one, 2018 season. The Cardinals had the ball for five and a half minutes in the first half. And, that's, <laughs> and, and, and it's for two separate reasons. One was because Sam Bradford and Mike McCoy were playing like they were, you know, uh, leatherheads playing in the 1960s. And then – Last year, picture the Kansas City Chiefs offense at about 60% capacity and the worst defense in the NFL. It's either three and outs or they score super quick. And right, that right. is kind of a fusion of the two. But you, you, the Cardinals aren't scoring every time like Kansas City is, so you can't get away with the time of possession of probably 26 or 27 minutes. And that's been an issue the last 800 days as an Arizona Cardinals media member, Arizona Cardinals team that they can't stay on the field and just moving the ball, matriculating the ball down the field. You have arguably the best possession receiver in the game in DeAndre Hopkins, probably him and Michael Thomas at this point. 
So that'll help with that a lot. And then Zane Gonzalez blew the roof off everybody's expectations last year when he couldn't hold the job, whether it be Cleveland or otherwise. The coverage on punts and kick returns is a work in progress, but I believe that they'll take bigger steps this year than they took last year from 2018 to 2019. Fantastic stuff there. A fascinating team to follow. Up-and-coming Arizona Cardinals team. That is Alex Clancy of Locked On Cardinals. You can find him on Twitter at Clancy's Corner. Go check out Locked On Cardinals podcast with Alex and Bo Brock daily. Alex, thank you so much for the time, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. And Matt and I will be back tomorrow as we do daily here on Locked On NFL. Our guest Friday, Mike Sando. Get those Twitter Thursday questions in for tomorrow's program at BD Peacock at Williamson NFL. Talk to you then, Locked On NFL.